I'm not sure where you're from, which city you name is your hometown, but here are several perhaps you might not like to claim as your hometown. How about dismal North Carolina? <laughs> or boring Maryland? Or misery Bay, Michigan? How about Tombstone, Arizona? Or Cape Disappointment? Or Skull Island, Washington? By the way, Skull Island is located in the midst of Massacre Bay. I'm not sure I'd like either one of those. How about Little Hope, Texas, or Shades of Death, New Jersey? And if you check the map, you'll find all kinds of weird named cities. And, and somehow I'm not sure that I'd like to attach me with that name of that city. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps not. We're going to talk about the disease of me. Pastor Andy has already introduced that to you last week, and we're just going to lock in on his coattails and follow through on the idea of the disease of me. Let me give you a medical definition, and then you tell me the word. Here it is. A definite pathological process having a characteristic set of signs and symptoms when you know what it is, just shout it out, okay? Here, here's another one. An interruption, cessation, or disorder of a body, system, or organ structure, or function. All this is medical stuff, okay? One more. A disordered or incorrectly functioning organ, part, structure, or system in the body. What is that? That's the medical terminology for disease. That's what a disease is. It's a malfunction. Something's not working right. It's just not happening the way your body was designed, a disease. I was looking at the statistics from the World Health Organization during the week. Here are the top 10 killer diseases. Are you with me? the top 10, and they kill more than 30 million people each year. Just the top 10. There are literally hundreds of diseases, but here are the top 10 diseases that kill over 30 million a year. The first is coronary artery disease. I got the scar to prove it, okay? I know. It kills 8.8 .8 million people a year. Stroke kills 6.2. Lower respiratory infections, 3.2. COPD, 3.1. Lung cancer, 1.7 million. Diabetes, 1.6. Alzheimer's, 1.5 million. Diarrheal diseases, 1.3 million. Tuberculosis, 1.3. And cirrhosis, 1.2. If you do the math, that's more than 30 million people. You, you say, so what? But let me give you perspective on 30 million people. That's more than the top 10 most populated cities in the United States. If you lost everyone in New York City, L.A., Chicago, Houston, Philadelphia, Phoenix, San Antonio, San Diego, Dallas, and San Jose, you would still be 5 million people short of the top 10 killer diseases in our nation. When I was reading that and getting perspective, it just it blew my socks off. I said, wow, disease is serious. These killer diseases are serious, amazing, amazing. We want to talk about the me disease. We want to talk about what it means, how it affects us, how it impacts us, the results 
of the me disease. Just yesterday, I was reading a story online that's going to break tomorrow. I was reading yesterday, and it's going to break September 17th, and here it is. Effective September 17th, Southwest Airlines is updating their animal policy. Emotional support animals no lo will no longer include rabbits, peacocks, ferrets, ducks, hamsters, hedgehogs, spiders, and snakes. <laughs> People have been taking those on planes as emotional support animals. As for service animals, now they will only include dogs, cats, and miniature horses. Seriously, that's going to break tomorrow. That's going to come out tomorrow. That's the new policy on service animals on Southwest Airlines. But there are other struggles, too. Here's the latest update. Just recently, in January 2018, Delta Airlines reported an 84% increase in animals biting, excuse me, urinating and defecating on their flights. Amazing, amazing. Maybe you saw this. In June of 2017th, on a Delta Airline flight, a 28-year-old man was attacked and severely mauled by a 70-pound emotional support dog that was sitting on the lap of its owner during the flight. The facial injuries required 28 stitches and reconstruction surgery. We have a problem. We have a problem. We have a disease that's running rampant out there. And it's the disease of me. It's the disease of me. We have a problem. Pastor Andy, what did you call it? You called it. You named it. You called me and told me, hey, we're preaching on the disease of me. You also said that the idea was that it's all about me. It's all about me. You see, we have made me the great emancipator, yes? Me, I'm the great me. I'm the great emancipator. I'm the answer to all. Me is the answer to all of my problems when the truth is it's probably the cause <laughs> of most of my problems and most of my struggles. You see, me is a curse. It is a curse. It's a stick in the eye. It's a stumbling block. It's a rock of offense. It's a killer five category hurricane that pounds and pounds and pounds. And I can tell you, everything me touches, everything me touches, it impedes, it destroys, it kills, it maims. Me is a terrible, terrible disease that we all struggle with. Others have said certain things about me disease. Listen to this. Write this down. None are so empty as those who are full of themselves. Hmm. Yes, yes. Here's what someone else said. A person wrapped in self makes a pretty small package. <laughs> yes. One more. One more. An egoist is someone who is always me deep in conversation. <laughs> Take that home with you. Yes, yes. And it's sad, but it's true. It's true. Me lessens, degrades, 
and ultimately destroys. Andy, Pastor Andy, that's absolutely the truth. Let's dig into our text. Our text really focuses on this issue of the me disease. Are you with me? Are you opened up? Sure you are. Here's what Luke 12, 13 through 21 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Watch this. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you see it? It's there. It's so clear. It's so obvious. He's the center of his life. He's all that he can think about or talk about or He's absolutely the center. Verse 20 says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Be careful with this passage. Be careful. Be careful with it. But here it is. If you go back to chapter 12, verse 1, you'll see that Jesus was involved in a tremendous teaching moment. The text actually says there were thousands of people gathered, and he was speaking to them. And if you read those previous verses earlier than our text, you'll see that he is dealing with things that are so significant and so important and so life-transforming. That's kind of the context for our text. But here it is. Suddenly, out of the midst of the crowd, he was interrupted. Can you imagine? Can you imagine not sitting there and shutting your mouth and being overwhelmed by the greatness and the might of the teachings of Jesus? But here was a man, probably a young man, a younger man. He interrupts Jesus. You see, he had been there listening to all of Jesus' teaching, but can I tell you, he didn't hear a word. He did not hear a word that Jesus said. He was listening to the me tape that was playing over and over and over again in his mind, and he was waiting just for the right opportunity to let it blurt out. And in verse 13, the opportunity gave itself. Hmm. Verse 13, teacher Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Do you get the picture? Here it is. Two siblings, yes, fighting over the rest of the bank account that was left when mama and daddy died. And they're fighting over it. Does that sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. We've dealt with people like that over the years many, many times. That is amazing. Two 
siblings fighting over a few dollars. But if you'll follow the text, you'll see that Jesus spent very little time and wasted very few words dealing with the request of the man. In fact, maybe 10 words, verse 14, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. I love Jesus, the way he responded without blinking his eye, without taking another breath. He reclaims the conversation. He reframes the issue and he begins to speak to the crowd. He's not speaking to the man. He was speaking directly to him, but now he's, he's reclaiming the conversation and he uses this interruption as a wonderful moment of teaching Certainly something that's more important than two young guys squabbling over a few dollars. He turns this into a dynamic, transforming experience that will impact the lives of perhaps hundreds, perhaps even thousands who are there listening to him. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, who is them? The crowd. Then he said to them, the crowd, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. What's the next word? The next word is life. Would you underline that? Would you capitalize that? Life. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life, life is not about possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, life is the heart of the issue. It's not possessions. It's not abundance of possessions. It's about life. What is life? Where do I find it? How do I find it? Where do I go? How can I earn it? That's the real questions that people are asking all over the face of the globe today. I want life. I'm searching for life. How do I get it? This guy thought it was in the abundance of possessions. The brother thought if he could get what belonged to him, hmm, he would have it nailed. This would be life for him. That's not the issue. Life is the issue. Verse 16 says, And Jesus told them this parable. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here's the answer. The ground of a certain rich man gave an abundant harvest. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. As I read this and studied it, I said, so far, so good. Hmm. This guy's an average guy. He's thinking the way many of us would think. He's not considered or called wicked or evil. He has not gained his wealth by taking advantage of other people. He's handling his assets pretty well. He's making plans for the future. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So far, so good. But here's where it gets a little muddled. Verse 17. He said to himself, he's having a self-talk. He's thinking out loud. He's saying to himself, what am I going to do with all my crops? 
he asks himself the question, and then he answers the question in verse 18. Hmm. This is what I'll do. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger barns, and I will store all of my surplus grain in these bigger barns that I'm building. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain stored up for many years. Take, take what? Take life. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Hmm. See, now we're really getting into the issue. The issue is about life. And can I tell you that me stands in the way of life? That's it. Me stands in the way of life. That's the truth. Write that down. Take it, take it home with you. Stay with me now. Could his eyes see? That's a question. What's the answer? Of course, of course. His eyes could see his growing bank account, yes? His eyes could see his overflowing barns, yes? His eyes could see that his financial future is secure for many years. His eyes could see, but church, his heart was dark. His eyes could see out here, but his heart could not see in here, he could not see the heart of God, the hand of God, the plan of God. He could not see the emptiness of his soul. I'll tell you, that's the hallmark of the me disease. The me disease cannot see the emptiness of our souls. It can see out here. It can judge. It can make plans. It can handle stuff effectively, but it can't see the darkness the emptiness of our souls. Do you think that's true? That is true. Me stands in the way of life. Yes, yes. Me stands in the way of all that Jesus taught and how he lived. I could give you literally dozens of scriptures, and I've been reading them this week about what Jesus said about me, about being self-centered, about focusing just here in such a narrow way. But you're familiar with this. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal, in and steal. Listen to this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, this guy is standing completely in contradiction to the teachings of Jesus. And to the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first, help me, the, and his righteousness. Don't worry about what, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Take a look at the birds. Take a look at the lilies of the field. Solomon was not even clothed in all that glory. Seek first the kingdom of God. But this guy was seeking the kingdom of me. The kingdom of me. Hmm. I've been thinking about this all week, Pastor Andy. Sometimes I try to read between the lines. What is this guy really saying? 
I believe he's saying something that's not, I'm not changing what's written now, but I believe his heart is gushing out something here that we have to look for and try to understand. This is what I think he's really saying. As he looked out, he said, I've arrived. Wow. I've arrived. He's saying, this is life. That's what he's saying, church. He's saying, this is life. He's saying, look at what I've achieved. I've done it. This is mine. Congratulations, me. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. Here's what else he doesn't say. There is no recognition of God as his source. There's no word of thankfulness for what he has. There's no mention of helping others with a surplus grain. He says, this is what I've achieved. This is life. This is what I've been looking for for all of these years. And I've arrived. Good job, me. That's what he's saying. Yes, yes. God doesn't let that pass, does he? God doesn't let that pass. God responds. And what does God say? What does God say? What does God say? Look at verse 20. What does God say? What does he say directly to this man? He said, you're a fool. You're, you're a fool. He could have said, you're fooling yourself. You're acting foolishly. But he didn't. He said, you, you are a fool. Let me ask you, respond to me now, okay? Why do you think God called him a fool? Help me out. Somebody jump up and, mm. yes. Tell me again. He was relying on himself, okay? Why did God call him a fool? Good answer. Come on, help me out. He wasn't thankful. Why did God call him a fool? Come on. Fools never learn their lesson. Okay. Did he learn his lesson? Was he thankful? Did he give God credit? Was he relying on it? Yeah, yes, yes. And God said, you are a fool. Hmm. I've thought about that. Why did God call him a fool? He called him a fool because he thought that he could deal with the uncertainty and the insecurities of life by having harvested a great crop. You see, life is not about that. Not real life, not true life. So he's a fool because he believed that his possessions could ensure his future. You know, sometimes we think when we're financially comfortable, you know, that means years and years and years. No, no, no. Be careful with that. God has given you today. And he wants you to enjoy it and be blessed by it. But can I tell you, tomorrow is a mystery that only he knows about. And I'm a fool if I think I can control tomorrow. I am a fool if I think making a ton and putting it in my por portfolio is going to affect and impact tomorrow. It's not. It's not. It's not. Your future is secure only in Him, church. He is your future. In Him you are secure. Tomorrow is known only to God. Trust Him. Walk with Him. 
thank him for today. Why did God call him a fool? The text is pretty plain there in the, the final verse. God called him a fool because he left God out of his life. He left God out of his life. He said, I'm the source of life. Me is the source of life. This is all about me. Life is all about me. He was a fool because he left God out of his life. I would be a fool if I left God out of, his, out of my life. And so would you. You can't do that. You can't leave God out and not be a fool. You know, the scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I've never said there is no God, but I've lived like a fool. You don't have to stand up and declare there is no God. You just need to live like there is no God. Your behavior tells what you actually believe. You just have to live like there is no God. And can I tell you, he lived like there was no God. And God said, you are a fool. Let's talk about life. Here's the good news. Jesus is all about life. He's all about life. Here's the good news. He wants you to have life. But he doesn't want you to be duped into falsely thinking that possessions equals life. He says life and possessions are not congruent. What in the world does that mean? I don't even know what that means. That sounds like a good word to use. <laughs> life and possessions are not the same. They're not connected they're not twins. They're just not the same. And so many people believe that's true. So many people in the church believe that's true. That if I have possessions, I'm greatly blessed by God. Hang on now. That I have achieved life. Yes, yes, yes. But that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true, but it's true that Jesus wants to give us life. In fact, he wants to give us himself. Life is not an it. It's not a thing. It's a person. On one occasion, he said, I've come that you might have life. Huh. He's all for life and that you might have it more abundantly. He wants to give us himself. That is God's gift to us. Jesus himself, not an it, a thing, or it's a person. And as we have the person, as we have the son, we have life. That's what John says in the New Testament. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son does not have life, but the wrath of God has descended upon them. Would you say it with me? Life and possessions are not the same. They are... <laughs> Forget it. I was going to use congruent again, but I won't use that again. <laughs> but you get the idea. They're not the same. They are independent don't get them mixed, mixed up. 
The obvious wealth of people who surround you is not the obvious hand of God in their life. Be careful. You can see the rich, the famous. Do you think that's life? Is that the life of God? Is that the life of Jesus being imparted to these very wealthy, very rich, very famous people? I had a gag moment the other day. One of the football players, I'm all for football. This guy makes $855,000 a game. Amazing. That's about half my yearly salary. <laughs> That's about half what Andy makes. 855. He is a miserable human being. I've read his story. He is miserable. You think he has life because his bank account? No way, no way. And just because you see the rich, the famous, the wealthy, listen, that doesn't mean that the life of God has anything to do with them or how they're living. I'm not condemning them. Let me put a disclaimer in, just a brief disclaimer. Some of God's choice, chosen children are wealthy. You know some of them. Some of them are wealthy. They have big barns. Their ground produces an abundant crop, abundant crops. And I would say that if you are one of them, that is a gift. That is a gift from God. But it's not a gift to hoard. It's not a gift to focus on me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. If you are one of them, if you are one of them, if you are blessed in this way, it's for the good of the kingdom. It's for the glory of God. It's for the spreading of the gospel. It's to help people. If you're one of those, be thankful. He was not. Be thankful. Be wise. Be generous. Be intentional. Be good stewards. Be sensitive to the poor. God has been saying to me lately, help the children. My heart breaks every time I go to a football game or go to a mall or go to a school and I see the children and I know what's going on. I know the stress and the pressure, the peer pressure they're under. And God simply says to me, take care of the children. Take care of the children. And if you're blessed with lots of big barns and great amounts, take care of the children. And as you do these things, as you're faithful, that is a powerful witness that you possess life. That is a description of what it means to possess life. You possess the Son of God. Your life is anchored in Him. You are living out the Christian life. You are listening to the teachings of Jesus. You are following Him. You are helping others even as He did. If you are chosen by God for the gift of wealth, be careful. Be sensitive. Be generous. Be kind. Give generously. And you are following in the footsteps of Jesus. Do you know some very famous people have 
had me problems. One's name was Paul. Write this down. Romans chapter 7. Go home and read it today. In Romans chapter 7, Paul describes his me problems. He had great problems with me. Here's what he said. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Huh. He goes on to describe what was going on. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't be doing, I'm doing. And then he makes this amazing statement. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Huh. Who shall deliver me? He could have said, who shall deliver me from me? That's what he was saying. And then he goes on to say, toward the end of that chapter, the beginning of the eighth chapter, thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ I am delivered. Church, that's life. That's hope. That's, and if you're struggling today, if you're struggling today, and some of us are, listen, I struggle Pastor Andy, I know he's almost perfect, but occasionally he struggles. Teasing. We're good friends. I can get away with that occasionally, okay? He struggles. I struggle. You struggle. Vic, you, str you and I have been friends for 100 years. I know. I know. I know some of your struggles. I've been with you. I've prayed with you. We've, we've been together. You've helped me so many ways. Joe, I know some of our struggles. I, I but if you're struggling today, listen, every day ask God to give you the power to get me out of the way. Ask God to give you the power of the Holy Spirit that would heal you and encourage you and set you free from the darkness of the me disease. That's the answer. Church, study the Word, read the Word, pray, help others. Mm, that's the answer. Get involved with others. That's the answer to the me disease. Recognize the struggle. Ask God to empty me of me. Ask Him to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to remove the dullness of me. Ask him to open your spiritual eyes to the truth. Jesus is life. Take that home. It's not what you possess. It's not how much or how little. It's Jesus. He is life. And if you simply say, Jesus, come into my heart and be my life. He will do that. He will radically, fundamentally, powerfully transform you. And I'm telling you, you keep fighting that me thing, and pretty soon you'll have a breakthrough. And pretty soon me will start to fade, and he will start to emerge, and his life will start to emerge.
Church, this is a good message for the people of God because the me disease is running rampant, even in the body of Christ. Do you believe that's true? Would you say amen? amen. That's true. Let's be done with it. Let's be done with it. Let's be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen.